Uh, so, Cam, thanks for making the time to join us today. Uh, so, Save uh, Cornwall Flooding has gained some major traction in recent weeks. It, it feels like just a month or two ago that we were talking about this project for the first time, and it nearly seemed dead upon arrival, and yet here we are with some really good news. So where do we stand now in terms of you know the financials and future repairs? Sure. You, well, you're exactly right, Nick, and thanks for having me on the show. Um, this time last year, the DNR's position was it will take a miracle to save Cornwall flooding. Well, we were blessed with a miracle, and um, due to the hard work of some of the grassroots activists, Curtis Goldborough and his Save Cornwall Flooding. Um, you know, we, we're going to push it across the finish line, it seems like. The DNR has uh, did a 360 and appropriated some money. Now, uh, there was originally some money that was left over um, from the uh, remaining legislative supplemental. And then with some money donated from the Great Lakes Fisheries Commission and the DNR Aquatic Habitat Grant, um, the DNR has asked for appropriation of a million three this time around, and that's going to leave $200,000 difference that we're going to have to raise locally. Okay. And then there's already been some funds that have been, uh, that have been raised locally. The, uh, the one thing that the DNR was talking about last year, um, Kenny, when you said that they were like, this is going to be a miracle, they were a bit more hesitant was the uh, not only the upfront cost of repairs, but the reoccurring costs. How, how, has, how has that been addressed? In the appropriations, okay. they, they've, uh, I don't like to use the word padding, but they, they put that in the supplemental to take care of that. You know, sure. There's a lot of money for dam removal, but not a lot of money for dam restoration. Right, right. Well, because, yeah, because like the DNR, as you mentioned, they're, so one, they're, they're spending a considerable amount of money now on this project, or at least they're kind of being the liaison from the state dollars to these local projects like Cornwall. And at the beginning, they were kind of crying poor, and then they seemed maybe interested later on in helping petition the state to allocate some of the dollars, as you had mentioned. So what has kind of prompted that turnaround? Has it been meeting with the locals who rely on Cornwall, or did they just kind of have to do further investigation of their own? And they're like, okay, that maybe this is more feasible than we originally had thought. Well, well, a combination, you know, it's a warm water system. So it doesn't really affect the trout and salmonoids. Um, so that helps, you know, so you've got neutral, like trout's unlimited and folks, they were neutral on it. And then certainly the grassroots, you know, people calling their legislators and calling the DNR, um, there was some fundraising that was done a couple different times, um, just bringing awareness. And the, the DNR had did an economic study on that and how much uh, money is spent in towns like Tower and Onaway and Indian River and Vanderbilt. Um, you know, it was in the $100,000 range, you know. So there, there's definitely an economic spinoff to this, too, that they certainly don't want to um, lose in our northern counties. Well, well, of course, because the the economic, the recreational side of things, I mean, there there's so few state dollars that go to northeast Michigan as it is. And they they have this one beloved thing in their community, and they were about to see that ripped away from them. So I, I feel like that definitely had something to kind of to play into it as well. You know, DNR realizes like, oh, my gosh, this is like, you know, one of the few things that we've been able to support in northeast Michigan. Because, yeah, I mean, because like you said, this this is a big money maker. We were actually talking before the show, you know, just some money that down in south southern Michigan is is kind of chump change up here. Just, you know, 
there's not a whole lot of, you know, wiggle room for, um, cause we rely so heavily on tourism. There's not a lot of wiggle room Absolutely. for lost revenue. Yeah. Well, well said, well said, Nick, you know, it, it could make or break somebody's season, um, very easily, you know, and, and, and once again, I go back to the Pigeon River is where the Great Lakes, uh, natural resources trust, trust fund came from. That's literally, they've gotten billions of dollars from oil and gas revenue around the state to develop um, recreational assets. And, you know, this is where the go, you can't, you can't even fix it, fix the local, you know, it's just, it yeah, just where's the money? You know, I can't say enough. Yeah. Where's the money? Where, how come we can't get a little piece of that pie? You know, where, where, where's it going? And, and you said it earlier, it's going to Southeast Michigan, which is where most of the budget goes. Very little comes like less than 20% of the budget comes knuckles North. And then when you want to cross the bridge, it's even less. Mm. So it's frustrating. And a lot of that money, then if we want to break it down in the Northeast and Northwest, most of that money goes into Traverse city and Northwest Michigan and Northeast fights over the crumbs. So we're thankful for the attention, you know, uh, fisheries division did, you know, they were, they were supportive. They recognize what a high value recreational asset this is. You know, they've put a lot of money into it over the years with the, it's a world-class bluegill fishery. That's not my words. That's the DNR's words. Um, you know, it's home to tiger muskie, you know, which is a big fish and that's a little pond. So it increases your odds of, right. you know, of catching one of these monster fish, you know, and, Literally, it's just, it's just, you can't use the word pristine, but it, it's just, it's as good as it gets. And, and it's the largest undeveloped tract of forest in the lower peninsula. It's amazing. And I don't think we can say enough about the people behind the Save Cornwall flooding movement, as you mentioned, and the people who donated. Uh, they, they resurrected this project. It, it really goes to show how much power the people can wield. Something that I can really only compare to the backlash over Goshen in recent history. I really can't think of some major, you know, significant movement that the people got behind and basically resurrected from the dead. This happened in your district. So what advice would you offer folks to other districts uh, in other districts in their fights against the state that just seem too hard or impossible? Well, you know, social media is an effective tool. You know, uh, so many of us are, uh, are uh, getting our, our information off of that. And the Save Our Cornwall folks were very effective, you know, and, and be polite. This doesn't have to be an angry process. You know, everything was done courteous. There was no uh, harsh words, you know, was, everything was done respectfully. Um, just, you know, we have a right to petition the government for our grievances, you know, so just continue to call the DNR, call your legislators, get the word out, tell your neighbors, tell your neighbors to tell their neighbors. And, um, you know, eventually the word gets around. There's, I believe the DNR has like 200 dams. So there more communities are going to see more of this. Yeah. Well, and then also if it's, if it's a dam related issue, you, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. And so you can kind of get lost in the sauce there, kind of lost in the abyss of so many, so many projects that they have to maintain. So it, you really have to, to make your voices heard, but this is a great example of, of just that happening. And, and, uh, you know, You've done an awful lot with this project as well. I know this is, wasn't, you know, what you were expecting to, to talk about, but you, you and your office did a lot in order to get the, uh, the, the, raise the noise on this specific project. What other capacity did you serve? Were you just kind of the liaison between the people and the DNR, or were you also involved at, like, not with just the DNR at the state level, but with also the, the state government and, and other kind of avenues? Well, yeah, you know, I've, I tried to put an appropriation in, 
And here's another example of downstate versus in our northern communities, Nick, is that the chair of the DNR, I asked for the money in a, in a supplemental, and it was shot down on partisan lines. Now, the head of the committee used to be a township supervisor in Meridian Township. She would fight harder for cattails and road ditches than she would fight for our northern lake there in the Pigeon River Forest. So I found that frustrating. You know, I, I really did. So a lot of what I did was bring awareness, and I, I did uh, craft some legislation to try and bring some money through the appropriations process. But uh, the Save Our Cornwell people, those are the people who got it done. I can't take any credit for that. So, I just did. I represented what they wanted done. That's my job is to be a representative, is to represent. And it, you could obviously see that there was a groundswell of support for this project. What has yet to be done? You mentioned about $200,000 needs more to be fundraised and then scheduling the actual repairs. I'm sure that's kind of something that's further down the road. But is there any information on any of that? Yeah, absolutely. I mentioned there's still $200,000 to be done. There is a GoFundMe page on the HuronPines.com website, HuronPines.com. And then I would, I would um, ask your listeners to go there and um, donate whatever they feel they can afford. You know, it's actually interesting because I, I had just seen a very small snippet of that. And I, I guess I, I just ask you now that since you're here, Huron Pines, a uh, kind of a uh, nature conservancy, if you will, land management. Um, that, that's nice to see that they were on board on this as well. What, what was their perspective? What, what were they bringing to the table during this um, kind of project here? Well, their fiduciary responsibilities, you know, they, they had some extra money and they have their expertise. And, and to be honest with you, Nick, there's not a dam here on Pines that seemed that they didn't want to take out because they're all about the ecology of the river. And it's questionable sometimes, you know, dams heat water up, which isn't always good for fish habitat. So, but as I mentioned earlier, this is a warm water system. It's not a cold water system. So Huron Pines rec recognized, to their credit, recognized the recreational value of, the, of this, uh, of the flooding, you know, and, you know, there's camping, there's kayaking, you know, there's hiking, you know, there's certainly swimming and fishing and, you know, horseback riding. And you can see elk come down and drink out of the water there. I mean, it's just beautiful, Nick. Yeah, it's nice to it's see. Beautiful. It's nice to see everyone come together for sure. You know, on this on this. It was project. it was a bunch of strange bedfellows. To be honest with you, you know, I'm kind of a right wing conservative politician. You know, and there's the Huron Pines folks are probably center left on a lot of their political issues, but we can all agree that the environment should not be natural resources should not be a partisan issue. We all enjoy the outdoors up north, Nick. So another story, ironically, a little similar. Uh, when we last spoke, you had to run off to a meeting just afterwards, and that was about the, I think it's 13 uh, hydroelectric dams that Consumers Energy was debating to sell, and then and since then, they have decided to put on the market. Any information on that and what kind of impacts that that could have on the Asable River and the communities around it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, they are for sale. Um, that is one of the options. Um, one that you know there's uh you know to re keep them as is and reapply um they would need some money it's just the thing is that they don't generate a lot of electricity nick um two two megawatts is what the alcona dam kicks out a day um for instance i think i might have mentioned to you last time we spoke about a, a biomass plant in lincoln that was recently cl is closing 
that was 18 megawatts a day. So they're not really uh, making a lot of money for consumers right now, and they're expensive to maintain. And everybody is worried about what happens, what happened in Midland. So they're worried about liabilities. So, um, right. well, you know, I, I wish I, I wish I had better news. You know, things are going to change. Um, how we how we control that change? Um, you know, I'd like to be part of that process. You so, know, we need a voice for the people. Right. And so, I guess my, my my secondary question to that was: so they their options were to try to come up with funding to keep the dams as is and keep them in their portfolio or to sell them was tearing them down. One of the alternatives as well, that would have had, you know, more detrimental impacts yeah. to local communities, yeah. but that would have cost a lot of money. Absolutely. Would it not have? Absolutely. Removal, removal of the dam and then restoration of the river is definitely um, on the table for some of these. Okay. And so they're, um, they haven't decided yet fully. They're like, we're going to put these on the market. And then if no one buys them, we are going to take a serious look at removal. Cause I, I feel like some people are like, Oh, they're going to sell them. They're going to still be there. It's just going to be under new management, but we'll still be able to, you know, still have, you know, the, uh, the recreation around it, but it's still on the table that potentially if these do not sell, they could be uh, demolished. Yes, that's correct. They're, they generate electricity, so they're under the auspices of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, which they call FERC. Um, they're all about 10 years out on f permitting. So, I mean, this isn't going to be done tomorrow, but the process is a long process and, um, you know, needs to be thought out and, and um, you know, handled efficiently. Right. This might be so a... Uh, go ahead. Go sorry. ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I I was going to go to the next question, but if you have more to say, I'm more than happy yeah, to. No, go ahead, Nick. I, I apologize. I talk over to you. My mind works, especially in the morning. It's the caffeine kicking in. Oh, so yeah. I, I get you. Well, because I was, this is just, you know, this might be a simple no because there's been a lack of sessions, but has there been anything happening down in Lansing? Because like, or was it like we last discussed just the waiting game, waiting for the 54-54 tie to be broken? Yeah, more of the same, Nick. We passed one piece of legislation this year there was a road naming for a, a firefighter who was killed in the line of duty down in Monroe County. So just one piece of legislation. I mean, I guess it's only been one full month, one month and six days, but still, I mean, we saw the flurry of legislation that was passed as soon as the Democrats took office last year. And it, it just seems so obviously partisan. And I don't, I don't understand how it, there's not more of a public outcry of, Hey, do your jobs. You know, we elect well, you to do this, do your jobs. Republican leadership has put forward some bills that we would cooperate on and the Democrats don't seem to want to do that. So the gridlock is on the Democratic side. We, we certainly want to cooperate, but we're not going to compromise, Nick. Yeah. So one of those bills, I think, is the, the education bill. Was that not one of them that was proposed recently that you're, you guys are willing to compromise on? Because, my gosh, our state's education system, it, it, it's has been downhill every year, no matter how much money we put into it. Have you, uh, were you a part of that discussion with the, I think it's the My Brighter Future plan for the education? To be honest, I'm not familiar with that, Nick. I, okay. I, I'm not on any education committees, but I do know that the governor um, took away from the pensions and it was, I believe, $600 million. And she's going to redirect some of that money now and put it into education. Where? I don't have the specifics on yeah, yet. More, more will be revealed. <laughs> I don't think money is the issue. I mean, the, the education budget has 
it's like uh it, there's correlation it seems like to me the more money being spent the the lower the grades go just because there's not a whole lot of focus on you know the quality of education but we're a little bit off topic from what we where we were discussing at the beginning with the the uh well real real quick i'll finish sure. that up and you can steer us back to wherever you'd like to go but even the metrics that we use to judge or to uh analyze how well we're improving have been dumbed down. They've taken them away. So we don't even have basic standards sometimes to see, see, see how our teachers are doing and see how our, our students are doing. It's frustrating to me. Yeah. So I want to bring this back just right before we end. I want to give you the opportunity again to there's $200,000 more that needs to be raised uh, for the, the final touches on save Cornwall flooding. Where can people go again to donate? Huronpines.com. HuronPines.com. And then there's a GoFundMe page link for Cornwall flooding on their page. Excellent. And we are speaking with State Representative Cam Cabot of the 106th District. Cam, thank you for making the time to join us today and getting us informed on these very important updates. Hey, I'm a big fan, Nick. Thanks for allowing me on your show.